0: Shape Moda designs women's trousers to suit everybody's shape to get the perfect fit Just imagine that as soon as you wear a pair of trousers they feel like the best piece of clothing ever Dress for your body shape with Shape Moda and make a huge change in your life now Go to shapemoda.com and find out which body shape you have Shape Moda Gives you the perfect fit Welcome back to the Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the art of wintering. And you might think, why are we talking about wintering in the summertime? But this is wintering in a metaphorical sense, as Catherine May explained to me.
1: I've kind of extended it to think about how we survive those metaphorical frozen periods. I'm thinking about the fallow periods in life or just the times when we feel cut off from the rest of the world, really, like after a divorce or a major mental health episode or physical health, or just sometimes when big changes come to us. And there's that, that period when we feel like, Everyone's carrying on without us and we're almost behind glass and and can't quite access the rest of life for a while.
0: Before we hear more from Catherine, I wanted to mention an exciting thing that's happening this weekend. Three women are being made free women of Dublin. And if you are a regular listener to this podcast, you know that we've done a lot of moaning about the fact that since 1876, when that honour was first introduced, there are 86 men who have the freedom of the city and only... Four women who are on that particular roll of honour. Those four women, of course, are British suffragist Margaret Sandhurst, Maureen Potter, the brilliant entertainer, former Crown Princess Michiko of Japan and Mother Teresa, Myanmar leader Aung San Suu Kyi, Uh, Her honour was revoked in 2017 to protest her handling of violence against the Rohingya Muslims in her country. But this weekend, thanks to Dublin Lord Mayor Alison Gilliland, who was on this podcast not so long ago, there are three women being given the freedom of the city. Olympic gold medalist Kelly Harrington, human rights activist Alva Smith and world leading expert in cyber psychology, Professor Mary Aiken. And they've all spoken recently about their feelings of pride and joy at being awarded the freedom of the city of Dublin at a ceremony this weekend. And we are delighted for all three women, but especially Alva Smith, who you've heard on this podcast so many times over the years in various capacities. And uh, she was speaking at the weekend saying that she thinks it's a real stroke of genius what Alison has done because it's making the point so importantly and significantly that the contributions women make are many, varied, diverse, excellent, brilliant and for far too long have been ignored. And she said, it's a real honour for me to be sharing this freedom of the city with a wonderful young woman, Kelly Harrington, who's done so much for women in sports and the equally brilliant in a totally different field, Mary Aiken, who is so distinguished and works on the global field. And Alva said she's probably going to cry doing it with two such distinguished women. And I'd say we'll shed a few tears as well on the Women's Podcast on behalf of everyone on the Women's Podcast. And I know all our listeners, we want to say thank you to the Lord Mayor and congratulations to these three brilliant women who can now graze their sheep in St. Stephen's Green, which is one of the perks of being a free woman, apparently. And here's to many, many more women getting that honour in the next few years. Now, today, we are going to be finding out about wintering. The idea that as human beings and as women, we have and we need to have our fallow seasons, times when the light is low and our resources are severely diminished. I'm talking about those times in our lives when we feel small or down or tired or disappointed or dejected. And there are often times that are a source of shame or guilt, and um, when we tell ourselves we need to buck up and pull ourselves together. But in her new book, Catherine May posits the idea that these times of wintering are crucial for us to repair and to care for ourselves in order to emerge with hard-fought wisdom. So that's what we're going to be talking about today, learning to recognise the process of wintering, to engage with it mindfully and maybe even to learn to cherish those times in our lives when everything goes to pot And we need to care for ourselves by battening down the hatches, reading lots of books, cancelling social plans and allowing ourselves to sink into vulnerability, to melancholy and hopefully to find some redemption there. Catherine is an author and a podcaster and a creative writing teacher. And the book is called Wintering, the power of rest and retreat in difficult times. And I began by asking Catherine to explain the concept of wintering.
1: So, wintering is a term I borrowed really, Um, and it's used to describe the way that nature survives the winter months, the coldest months. But I've kind of extended it to think about how we survive those metaphorical frozen periods. Um, I'm thinking about the fallow periods in life or just the times when we feel cut off from the rest of the world, really, like after a, a divorce or a major mental health episode or physical health um, or just sometimes when big changes come to us and there's that that period when we feel like everyone's carrying on without us and we're almost behind glass and, and can't quite access the rest of life for a while.
0: When I read your book I immediately thought back to when my actually it's funny you mentioned breakups there and, and marriage when my marriage broke down and that sense of shame around feeling completely yeah, outside of things is a really good way of describing it. Like I was looking at the world and people didn't know what was going on with me. So I was having this major sort of life event, but I didn't want to tell anyone because I didn't want to open up about it. And and I really like, I just wanted to retreat. And in fact, I did. I went on a 10 day meditation, <laughs> silent meditation. Oh, wow. So That's I, a really was, good solution. I was thinking when I was reading that that was a sort of a wintering, but I didn't know it. But naming it, I think is really interesting. Naming that time when things happen that are so overwhelming that we just, we can't kind of go along as we used to and we need to batten down the hatches, but we don't tend to admit it because it sounds very yeah. weak. It's so,
1: and it's so interesting that you brought up shame straight away because I I just think that's such a key part of that wintering experience that it's not accepted. You know, like we, we used to have those very formal conventions for grieving, for example, that let people have a year at least you know when they were expected to be visibly grieving and now we've started to call a whole year of grieving pathological it's actually going into the new diagnostic and statistical manual and in fact we so often expect people to kind of pick up really quickly after a personal setback and there and of course we don't because we can't because these things take a long time to process and so we just live in total shame and we don't talk about it and we don't believe that other people go through the same exactly the same stuff that we do and I I think breakups is such a good example because you know if you break up with someone you've got like a month before everyone starts going so are you getting back on the bike again (laughs) you know
0: (laughs) <laughs> exactly and we'll talk about your own kind of life events that uh, preempted the the wintering that you describe in the book but it is also interesting that we've kind of all been collectively or separately wintering in the last in during the pandemic but I know you wrote the book before the pandemic <laughs> yeah. but it's kind of amazing it feels like a pandemic book
1: yeah it was really strange actually I mean it, it came out in the UK I think three weeks before we locked down and I at the launch party everyone was saying to each other do you think we could actually end up in a lockdown you know and so I had a couple of weeks when everyone was talking about it as a book that was about all sorts of things um and then ever since then everyone thinks it's a, a pandemic book and certainly in America where it came out the following November people can't believe it when I didn't write it like during the pandemic so yeah no it's um It's been that word wintering has become associated with the isolation that that we all felt, I think.
0: And you mentioned uh, America. We should say it's a New York Times bestseller, which is quite the achievement. Congratulations.
1: Amazing. Nobody is more surprised about that that than I am. Trust me.
0: (laughs) I think you definitely hit a chord. Now, the book opens with the line, some winters happen in the sun and you um, explore a time of wintering in your own life. It was just before your 40th birthday. So tell everybody what happened around that time.
1: Yeah, so, so loads of things came at me at once, really. Um, so I'd already decided that I needed to leave my job because I was feeling very overwhelmed, like many academics do. Um, and I felt like I couldn't balance family life with it. Um, so I just had the conversation that I was going to hand in my notice when my husband suddenly became really ill with a very severe appendicitis. Um, and, it, you know, it was life threatening. And it was this this moment of absolute terror that I think, I don't know, just showed me how fragile things actually are for us. You know, like not only could I lose him, but if I did, we were in a financially really precarious position, too. And it was terrifying. Um, but during the time that he was in hospital, I began to get abdominal pain as well. And I first of all thought it was some kind of weird sympathetic response, Um, but it continued to the point when I uh, found myself just doubled over my desk one day at work and unable to to do anything and had to call my GP and say, what do I do? Um, And it turned out that I'd, I mean, I had loads of different gut problems all at once. Um, But there was a period of time when my GP was saying, well, I, I think you should prepare yourself for a cancer diagnosis um and so I, I feel like kind of mortality visited us for a while um and you know like my health took a long time to recover and hasn't ever fully recovered um and then soon after that just you know because disaster attracts disaster uh we had to pull my son out of school because he was se- severely anxious and no longer coping and so between the three of us I think we felt like kind of weird social outcasts for a while I think it felt like nobody knew what to say to us or, or what to do with us. Um, and we had to weather this this huge storm together, really.
0: And you say, if I didn't see my winter coming, then at least I have caught it in the early stages, because you sort of identify yeah. that that's what's happening. I'm wintering now. And you put, it, you put that name on it. And what did putting that name on it allow you to sort of do? I mean, you really leaned in. And I think that's what the book really... <laughs> teaches me and teaches all of us that we need to lean into these wintering periods and not try and run away from them and give ourselves what we need when we find ourselves in this situation so how did that manifest for you
1: well I kind of I felt like a kind of expert winterer by then I felt like I'd endured so many winters before and I almost like recognized the shape of it and I realized I could see it in other people too and I knew that it wouldn't be quick you know like it this is a this was going to be a process and I knew that it was change visiting us um but of course you don't know what change and and it's almost like you have to go through the process of this winter to find what change is coming and so I just immediately started taking really good care of myself you know I I slowed everything down I cancelled out my diary I began to you know, like cook nice comforting food for myself. And what, you know, like I had very limited energy, but when I did have little moments of energy, I'd take myself for a very slow walk or I would clear space in my house. And and I realized that there was the clutter of the last decade kind of clogging up everywhere in the house. Like I, I'd been so relentlessly busy that I hadn't had a chance to get on top of anything. And, and that, it seemed to me was sort of symbolic of where I was really that stuff had built up and built up and I now had to make the space to deal with it because that seemed to me to be the, the beginning of the way forward. So yeah, it was a retreat into the domestic in lots of ways, I think.
0: And you also write in the book, um, I Learned to Winter Young, and you've mentioned that you'd experienced a lot of winters before that. And you you knew what wintering was. So tell us about some of those early experiences and how you kind of learned about wintering in the first place.
1: Yeah. So uh, my previous book was about my midlife diagnosis with autism um, and like loads of people my age, I'm 44. Um, I wouldn't have got an autism diagnosis when I was a little girl. It wasn't possible. Like people, most people didn't even think girls could be autistic. Um, And so I'd struggled and struggled and I had felt very isolated and very different. I'd experienced depression very young. I'd experienced eating disorders. I'd experienced very poor physical health, which is really common for autistic people too, because like the level of exhaustion that, comes from trying to pass as a as a neurotypical person when you just can't do it is is huge um and so I felt like I had I lived 100 lives by the time I turned 18 honestly and then I had a big breakdown anyway so um yeah it's it's a pattern that that was familiar to me from very early on um, and in fact, that now I feel almost quite comfortable in those times. They are familiar to me and they're not comforting, but they're known, known spaces. And I, and I kind of almost trust them because every time I've endured a major winter, I've never regretted what I come out with even though they're horrible, like there's no, there's no kind of, you know, silver lining here. I'm not going to say, hey, you know, it's going to make you stronger and better. And, you know, no, 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 that's not true. But somehow we always look back on those times and say, yeah, but if I hadn't have gone through that, I wouldn't have done this. Um, and that's always been true for me.
0: Do you remember a time when you actually identified that you were wintering and that you kind of, again, leaning into it and realising, okay, you know, when everything's happening that's terrible, it's it's a very panicked time, it's a very fearful time. You're worrying about a lot mm. of things. But there is something in just acknowledging what's happening and knowing that you have to retreat and knowing that you have to do the self-care. Was there a time when that became very clear before before this recent time?
1: Yeah, I mean, I in fact, I think because the, the previous time had of course been, you know, really painful all over again. But actually I'd begun to recognise it in friends, you know, and I'd began to see that that kind of that narrative arc in their own crises and and the book the idea for the book didn't come from my own crisis it came from speaking to a friend in the pub one night and her feeling like like she'd screwed up life for good you know like everything had gone wrong and it was not recoverable and I found myself shouting not shouting I mean that's you know I maybe had had a few glasses of wine like you're wintering though like I this is not the end of anything this is this is the beginning of a new cycle and you are in the the lowest dip at the moment. And I really feel that with you, but don't, for God's sake, tell yourself that this is the end of anything. It's just the beginning of something else. And your job is to adapt to this new reality, however unwanted it is. And I think that was for me the moment when I, like the whole the whole thing kind of dropped into my head at once. Like I, I always experience ideas like that. I don't learn things gradually. I just get these revelations that feel like I've dropped into my mind. And and that then made it easier for me the next time. And I really hope that I'm passing on something that means that people now who've read the book will say, Okay, yeah, I I know the shape of this. I know what this is. Um and it's it's not terrible. It's not an ending.
0: And it's something that you move through and there's something on the other yeah. side and there's there's learnings as well.
1: There's also always really beautiful space in those horrible times as well. Like there are moments of, if you let it come, like of such pristine sadness that you can actually wallow in that for a while and, and be in that. And there are opportunities to see the beauty of the small and of, of the restrictions of life and there are opportunities to let people take care of you, which maybe isn't as bad as we always think it will be. So, I think there are lovely things in there.
0: Just on that, another thing you write is that if happiness is a skill, then sadness is too. And I think that's something we're, we're, that you mentioned self-help books and all this positivity and, you know, just get on with it. It's all going to be fine and everything. But actually being sad and being in those uh, spaces in our lives is a skill and it's something we're not taught about. How do you weather these things? Yeah,
1: and i it's not just sadness, it's all of the feelings, you know, like, we have those feelings for a reason. We evolve to feel every feeling. And we're increasingly only respecting a very narrow range of those feelings. And life is actually really thin without counterbalancing sadness. Like happiness is such a shallow emotion. And there are so many other more interesting emotions to feel. I, I mean, I actually, I, I'm interviewing Susan Kane next week, whose new book is called Bittersweet. And I think that really captures, that word bittersweet captures something that we all understand as actually a really compelling, deep, rich emotion that life would be worse without. But it's not pleasant. It's not jolly. um, And it's not positive in that kind of striding forth, sharing a meme on Facebook kind of a way. It's something more delicate than that, that speaks to the, the, the nuance of human experience, which is gorgeous.
0: And in the book, you do speak to other sort of people who are used to wintering in a very literal way and sometimes yes. a metaphorical way. But, you know, like Nordic families and indigenous communities. So what did you learn from the people you spoke to about wintering? And I mean, one of the things that stood out was we have to prepare for wintering. Like We yeah. should be sort of preparing yeah. for it even when we're not in a wintering period.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was really interested to know because, like, I'm a big lover of snow and, and the, the hard winter, which I know doesn't appeal to everyone, but for me, that's that's my favourite season. Um, and I really wanted to know what it was like to live in those landscapes where you get snowed in every year. And so I spoke to Finnish people, Norwegian people, Swedish people, Icelandic people, um, and what they told me was that the preparations start way earlier than we'd ever expect, like August, you know. Um, but they associate those times with so much pleasure. They they prepare for them by like filling the freezer with good food, by uh, pickling. Pickling is a really, really big part of of northern culture, which I think is coming back here a bit, but they, they're still really conscious of it. Uh, you know, and preserving food and also like getting their house in order. You know, uh, one of my interviewees said to me that, you can't afford for your roof to have a leak by the time the snow comes because you won't be able to repair it then and it will devastate your house. So they, they take care of their environment. And that means that they create a kind of pleasurable space to winter in rather than a crisis space. And that I mean, that I started talking about the uh, the, the prevalence of sauna culture, or sauna, as I have to say now so, <laughs> to be uh, properly northern sounding. Um the, the sauna is not just a nice thing to do or a luxury thing you might do at a spa in in Finnish and Norwegian culture. It is a necessary kind of family gathering that's associated with a really different state of mind, um, and it's it's essential. It's as essential as a bathroom. That's how my Finnish my Finnish interviewee described it. She that you would know more. Buy a house without a sauna than you would a house without a bathroom. And part of that is about how to create beautiful social space in midwinter when you're snowed in and you can't go out. And I wonder if, like, I don't know about Irish culture, but I think in English culture we'd see that as a little bit above your station.
0: Notions, (laughs) we'd say. We say notions. Notions. Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like the idea that you might make space for pleasure in everyday life runs quite contrary to both of our cultures I think but it's a good thing it's a really really good thing I mean I think unlike you we're beginning to abolish like other social spaces like the pub like I I don't think so many people use the pub as as a kind of everyday social space anymore and I like we're losing everything that, that puts pleasure into normal life and we're turning it into an indulgence and extra and actually like we need to see each other we need to have fun we need to laugh we need to mingle and put all of those feelings together
0: this podcast is brought to you by shapemoda.com log on today to find your perfect fit And I've seen you quoting Sylvia Plath saying winter is women. I think she says that in, in one of her poems.
1: Winter is for women. Yeah. Winter is for yeah. women.
0: And so there's yeah. a, this is the Women's Podcast. I'm just wondering about the angles around the feminine and um, and women and wintering. What did you discover about that? Because mm. we probably need it more than anybody really, don't we?
1: I I think women are intimate with winter in a way that men aren't always. I mean, I think partly because we talk about it more and we are more concerned with each other's winterings. We we are talking to each other about our experiences and we're often the ones running to to support when stuff goes wrong for other people. But also, I mean, there's something about the way that our bodies are made and the cycles that we endure that mean that we are more often thrown into winters, big ones and small ones. And I I do actually think that motherhood is often a wintering period for women, a, a very hidden one, like a very taboo one but I think those early days of motherhood are a massive wintering period for so many people certainly for me but equally I think for a lot of women who don't want children they endure the winter of their friends having children and feeling isolated about that or women who do want children and can't have them endure a different kind of winter there's something about our bodies and our social life and the way that expectations are put on us that I think mean that we we know winter so well. And that's what Sylvia Plath talked about so beautifully.
0: Yeah. Tell me about your winters then, because they can't last forever. Spring has to come, bursting forth. But when you were in it, particularly the, the things you describe in the book, tell me what it looked like for you and what you did and how other people reacted to your wintering.
1: Yeah. So for me, for me, like I I do enjoy solitude. And so one of the things that I do to cut down on the strain is I will cancel out every social engagement that isn't absolutely necessary. I get outside a lot. I think one of the biggest things that you can do for yourself, however restricted you are, is just to smell the fresh air every day, even if that's leaning out of a window. I always walk if I can, um, but I swim, I live by the sea, and I swim as often as I can in the sea too. And all of those things they show me something about how the world is like moving and changing and they give me things to notice actually that they might be really small but it might be you know different wildflowers popped up on the beach this week or or actually like the alleyway down the side of my house someone's thrown a packet of wildflower seeds uh, like in the cracks and that's brilliant to watch now it helped me all through lockdown because Different flowers are coming up in my alleyway all the time. And, and today it was cornflowers. It's like the most ugly space you can imagine, you know. But getting outside, I think, does help. And it, and it actually gets you in line of seeing other people and having a quick chat, which I, I do think is important. But, like, most of all, I, I think about how to make myself as comfortable as possible within that really uncomfortable space, and, often, and like it's really so often a very financially restricted space, I think, as well, which we don't like to talk about, you know, because it's we're awkward about money. But you can still create comfort and luxury as, as much as you can just by thinking about how you change the lighting in your house in the evening. Like whether you put some music on, how you wrap up warm, how you find your softest clothes and, and get yourself comfortable in them all of those things are not trivial. They're really, really vital because actually what you're doing is you're you're doing what your mother would have done for you. You're taking enormous care of yourself. Like you're a small child who deserves care. And that's the truth under all of this. Like we're all worthy of care.
0: And did anyone ever tell you, you need to snap out of that wintering. Like, you know, you've been cooped up too long. You need to start coming out. How long does it last? And is there a kind of a, a finite period of it? We can't winter forever, like I was saying.
1: You can't winter forever. And I I don't think, I mean, honestly, I, I think some people do get stuck in winters. And when people do get stuck in winters, it's because, not because they haven't wintered, it's because they haven't fully lent into it and, and let themselves touch that sadness and that loss and that grief, you know. And I, I think if we don't fully dance with it, that's when it carries on. And, you know, obviously, like, there are all kinds of things you can do you should you should go to your doctor you know you should don't not take medication in favor of lighting a scented candle um go and see a counselor if you need to but also let this thing run its course and it will run its course as long as you engage with it but they they do last variable times and I I think sometimes the hardest winters are the ones where we're accepting a change that is not an upgrade like that this is not life like human life is not an upward path we're all going to have to accept more and more restriction as we go on that's the that's the fundamental truth that we don't want to talk about but we can adapt to those changes and we can still live really fully within those new lives and it's not degraded and it's not a a mistake or like a, a giving in and those are, the, those are the bits of acceptance that can move your wintering forward and, and get you to that next life that's waiting somewhere.
0: And you also talk about how we're bombarded with the positivity movement and you talk about endlessly cheerleading ourselves into positivity while erasing the dirty underside of real life. So why do you think we're also afraid to allow ourselves to sit in that space? Because I think it is you feel again, going back to the shame or the guilt or the, the feeling like I should be able to deal with this and I shouldn't feel so overwhelmed that I can't actually function in the way I normally do. Why are why yeah. do we do that? I mean, surely it's part of life. Like you said, it's a cycle. Yeah, and it should absolutely. be an acceptable cycle. But when
1: you think about it, we can hide it so effectively now because we're not living in face-to-face communities. We're living in digital communities. And that makes it really easy to conceal that dark underside <laughs> of life. And, you know, there, there are some really realistic things that people are doing here. The reason they're concealing it is because they don't want their employer to see them being negative for example but I think also there is this sense that we uniquely should be the ones that can overcome the life like how human life (laughs) operates I think we have such high expectations of ourselves and I don't think we have a language to talk about the negative things other than failure uh, or embarrassment shame all of those things we don't we don't have like a complex language that lets us really discuss it and we don't really see examples of it because actually our instinct is to to hide when that happens and to not admit to it and to drop out of culture rather than to fully engage with it and you know in our in more ancient societies we'd have seen all human life at once all the time we'd have been among elderly people we'd have been among sick and disabled people We'd have been amongst new mothers, we'd have been amongst teenagers, you know, like everything would be visible all at once. And now those groups disappear. And the only people we see in the mainstream are the people who are coping at that moment. And there's a real survivorship bias to our culture that that just makes everything else totally invisible. And therefore, of course, we can't talk about it because we don't know how to recognise it. We just think we've done this weird thing that nobody else has ever done before.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned your son earlier and having to take him out of school. And I was thinking as I read the book, you know, I haven't talked to my daughters about it yet, but I think I really want to introduce the concept of wintering to my kids because, I mean, I'm 50 and I'm sort of learning about this idea that obviously I've done before but I just never had a name for it but and and now I sure, would yeah. I think when the, my next winter comes because we all all have several winters I don't think there's you know just one big winter I Yeah know.
1: yeah oh many 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 yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> and it's something I'd love my daughters and I think pe- people listening if they have kids or young people in their lives to to talk to them about that have has your son mm. kind of is he aware of wintering Did he, does he know <laughs> that that's what you were doing
1: yeah, and I I mean when he was out of school I think we, we spent a lot of time talking about what this was and what it meant. And I don't think I necessarily used the word wintering with him at the time, but we did talk about how sometimes everything falls apart and you have to rebuild. Um and he's do you know what? It's really interesting because I you know, like it was a big decision to take him out of school and all the advice we got was to keep pushing him into school and keep kind of forcing him into this mould that was really
0: not fitting. Him. Like he just didn't get and on he, in school. He didn't like it. He made he that very clear. He hated yeah. it.
1: Yeah, yeah. And we couldn't, you know, it got to the point where he was just throwing massive fits in the morning and in the evening when he got home. And our whole life was constructed around trying to bribe him into school and pick up the fallout on the way the way back out Uh, and it just was unsustainable and and I sort of trusted my instincts and what I felt really strongly was that he was telling me that he was vastly unhappy and vastly uncomfortable and that I as a parent had a choice to make as to whether to listen to him or not and to like honour his actual feelings rather than to say sorry you're not allowed those these are not acceptable and they're I mean, they were really inconvenient to me. I did not want to homeschool. Um, I mean, you know, a year later, everyone was homeschooling, but there we go. Um, and I wanted him to know that it was OK for him to be having this reaction, but that we needed to problem solve it together. And that's what we did. And he went back to school very happily, like nine months later. Um, everyone told me I'd never get him back into a school again. That was not true. He's And he now loves school. But he's learnt to make adaptations to do it his way and to to have the measure of it more. I mean, I, I'm quite a rebellious soul, so I'm really happy to tell him the bits that really don't matter. And none of it actually matters because the world is full of happy people who didn't succeed at school. Um, and so, yeah, it was. it's the biggest lesson I've ever taught him and I'm really glad to have taught it. And I've noticed how empathetic he is to other kids when they're, struggling now he's got this real sense of responsibility to help which I'm so delighted
0: and things are better for you now I'm, I'm assuming you've been through quite a time of a lot of different things that happened at once so you're out of winter but are you kind of conscious all the time that you know it, it, the winter will come again
1: Absolutely. I mean, I'm I'm kind of getting ready for the next one. Um, I've I started to save for a pension, which is the most <laughs> exciting. I mean, I'm not sure how much of a pension it's going to be, but we, <laughs> there we go. But yeah, I mean, I you know, like I don't think I've defeated winter. Um, and interestingly, for me, the pandemic wasn't very wintry because I was busy all the time, kind of talking online about my book and so it was actually quite an exciting period for me weirdly Um, but something will come you know my health is still not perfect I look after it more carefully than I used to there will be the next thing and I don't know what that is and all I can do is be as ready as I can during the the good times um, and to enjoy them fully and to accept that I'm fallible. And something will happen at some point. And that's just normal.
0: And I know there'll be some people listening who are going through it at the moment. Um, you know, the cost of living crisis is affecting so many people. There There's so many things going on. I and mean, we hardly sometimes don't know. So what would you say to those people who are, you know, maybe you haven't identified that that's what's happening, but would like, you know, it might help them. So what can they do? So first
1: of all, you're not alone and you've not failed. Like you're going through something that is part of a bigger cycle beyond your control. Make as much space for yourself as you can in that in that time. I know it's busy. I know it's hard, but make space to look after yourself and to feel your feelings and reach out to people who are kind and sympathetic and who don't expect you to move on, but who will listen and get outside get outside as much as you can breathe the air and make space to think because your brain is doing work on this that you don't know how to do consciously but what you what your job to do is to to open up the space in which that can happen and to do it gently and kindly and acceptingly and ask yourself what's coming next what's this what's this change that's coming what do i need to do that maybe I would have considered unacceptable before, like where am I now, where am I being taken now? I mean, the, uh, the world is so full of horrible looming crises at the moment, I'm pretty sure that a huge percentage of the people listening will be right in the middle of one one winter or another. And the opposite thing to say is for those of us that are not currently wintering, we should think about who we need to reach out to, who we can help. Who we can listen to without solving you know does anyone need some money does anyone need some practical help There, there is so much that we can do we shouldn't just sit like a kind of brooding hen on some nice eggs in the good times we should we should go out there we've, we've got work to do mm-hmm.
0: and speaking of work what are you working on at the moment and what's next for you Catherine
1: So I've just finished, uh, I've just finished the edits on my new book, which is called Enchantment. And that will be out in about a year from now, a little bit less than a year from now. So I'm currently busy with all the stuff that comes in up to a book, like getting all my house in order. It's it's really busy. You don't expect it. Uh, But yeah, that's that's what's keeping me
0: very occupied at the moment. And tell me about (laughs) Enchantment. I'm intrigued by the title. So what's it about?
1: So enchantment is really about how we can find the magic in everyday life again. Uh, it's written with the background of of how burned out so many of us are feeling, how anxious so many of, of us are feeling as well and and I, I just my sense is that we are all so incredibly drained at the moment. And it's it's my personal mission really to find a new spiritual relationship with the world like a something that taps into a childlike sense of wonder but which also acknowledges how tough and difficult things are. Um, so there's a lot in there about the landscape, about folklore and mythology. Um, there's still a lot of swimming because I, I will always come back into the water. Um, I'm really proud of it and I I really hope it will help us as a like community to think about what we do next and what we do now even though Everything seems so
0: dark. Well, I hope you'll come back and talk to us about enchantment when, when it's out oh, in the yeah, world. Yeah, try stopping me. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Catherine, for telling us about wintering. And I think I I, I use the word comforting when I when I think about the book. I, I think naming something and finding a space and understanding that it's a period of growth as well as pain. Because, I mean, without getting too cliched, where there's pain, there's always growth, isn't there? And I know you were changed by your winter and i Anything that we've been through and endured like that has changed us. Oftentimes for the better, there's been so many lessons and I know you've had so many of those as well. So I think you're helping a lot of people and um, yeah, very grateful for you coming on and do come back again soon. That's all we have time for. Thanks so much to Catherine May for talking to me. Her book is called Wintering, The Power of Retreat in Difficult Times. And I hope you found it as comforting as I did. The podcast is produced by me, Roisin Ingle, by Jennifer Ryan and Suzanne Brennan with JJ Vernon on sound. Do get in touch with us on email, thewomenspodcast at irishtimes.com or on social at ITWomensPodcast. Mind yourselves and I will talk to you next time.